I'm Kate Daniels. Dr. Jonathan Howard is a neurologist and psychiatrist in New York City who worked throughout the pandemic at Bellevue Hospital and who has a unique perspective about this time in our mutual history. Thus, he's the author of the book, We Want Them Infected, How the Failed Quest for Herd Immunity Led Doctors to Embrace the Anti-Vaccine Movement and Blinded Americans to the Threat of COVID. Dr. Jonathan Howard, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us today. Thank you so much. I look forward to speaking to you. This is stunning. Your new book, We Want Them Infected, How the Failed Quest for Herd Immunity Led Doctors to Embrace the Anti-Vaccine Movement and Blinded Americans to the Threat of COVID. That is stunning, shocking, uh, just overwhelming in in terms of this actually being stated. You know, we, we know as we lived through those years of COVID, uh, just the push and pull and the stresses that went on. But to to know that there was what feels I'm going to use the word plot, um, because that's what it feels like. That uh, saying we want them infected. There was definitely that focus. Is that true? I think so, absolutely. The title of the book is to be taken literally. Uh, it is not a quote that comes from me. It comes from a man by the name of Dr. Paul Alexander, who is an epidemiologist and official in the United States Department of Health and Human Services in the Trump administration. And on July 4th, 2020, before anyone had been vaccinated, the full quote is, infants, kids, teens, young people, young adults, middle-aged with no conditions, etc." have zero to little risk, so we use them to develop herd. We want them infected. So while doctors like myself were in the hospital, deluge, taking care of COVID patients, there was a group of other doctors who were largely sheltered from the consequences of their words uh, who were working at cross currents with us. Their idea was that by in the mass infection of unvaccinated young people, we would achieve herd immunity. So it was this idea of getting rid of the virus by spreading the virus. And yeah, it, 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 I sound like a kind of a conspiracy theory, but these were the doctors who were advising President Trump and went on to advise Ron DeSantis and Glenn Youngkin. They were very influential. They were um, um, omnipresent in the media, Fox News, uh, the Wall Street Journal, even so-called liberal uh, publications, The Atlantic, The Washington Post. So these guys had a lot of influence. So taking a step to the side or maybe a ba- stepping back from it, is there just in general, in a medical, in a scientific world, the idea that you know, that there's some logic to saying we would have this herd immunity? Was there any kind of sense that this would make sense? So when is it ethical to purposely infect people with a virus is maybe the question that you're asking. And I think the answer to that is in very limited situations. So for example, uh, my mother exposed me to chicken pox when I was a child. I was born in the 1970s. And I think that was a ethical thing for her to do at the time uh, for several reasons. Number one, uh, children were not going to avoid chicken pox. You can't just dodge it your entire life for the most part. Number two, there was no vaccine. That's probably the most important Number three, one infection led to permanent immunity with chickenpox. You can't get it over and over again. 
And number four, it's a relatively harmless disease for children, not completely harmless. It would kick before the vaccine came out. It would kill about 100 people per year. And of course, it, uh, death is not the only bad outcome, uh, but it is much more benign for children than it is for adults. Now, COVID uh, meets two of those criteria, I think. Number one, very few babies born today are going to be able to dodge the virus throughout their entire life. And number two, of course, it's much more benign for children than it is for adults. Although not for babies, it, 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 for, for, for newborns and, and infants, it's actually not entirely safe. Uh, but of course, we now have a vaccine for it. And one infection does not lead to permanent immunity. But no, never before in, in the history of medicine have people tried to get rid of a virus by spreading that virus. So no, this was a, a novel idea. And so when we began to see how people were succumbing to it very quickly to perpetuate that idea that we would have herd immunity really does seem unethical, that leading people to die and and discounting it uh, in the interest of uh, the younger people who we shouldn't be vaccinating. Right. So the idea behind a lot of their logic, behind we want them infected, was that you could easily identify people who were vulnerable and not vulnerable. Uh, Of course, that is not true. There's sort of a gradient of vulnerability. It's not like you are vulnerable or not, yes or no. That's number one. Uh, But they thought that these two populations could be easily identified and then permanently, not permanently, but completely walled off from each other. So their idea was that you could completely wall off nursing homes, uh, vulnerable people in the community, et cetera, from not vulnerable people. And as long as not vulnerable people lived normal lives, they would build up immunity. And then after three to six months, that was the time frame a lot of these doctors mentioned, uh, the virus would vanish and not vulnerable people could emerge from their isolation. And a lot of these ideas were formulated in the in the fall of 2020, just months before vaccines came out. Now, vaccines haven't, aren't perfect. We all know that. But they have saved millions of, uh, of lives and prevented millions of people from serious suffering. So it really was sort of a fantasy idea um, because, of course, you cannot completely wall off vulnerable people from invulnerable people. And a lot of people who are in the invulnerable category, young, healthy people, were not completely immune from COVID, uh, from, from, its, from its severe risk. And these ideas still are entrenched, aren't they? That there still is uh, the resistance. There are the anti-vaxxers who are proclaiming, don't get this vaccine. Yeah, I mean, I think that absolutely. And I, I think at this point, um, pretty much everyone has either been vaccinated or, or infected probably multiple times by now. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, the anti-vaccine movement, I think, has really grown over the course of the pandemic. Uh, the vaccination rates for children were abysmally low. And as a result, hundreds of children died deaths that they did not need to die. Uh, and what was striking is that all of this, not all of this, but a lot of this was at the hands of doctors. So in 2019, for example, if I had said uh, we should let we should let children contract measles because only 
you know, a couple hundred children per year would die of measles, I would have been viewed correctly as a totally unethical quack. Uh, in 2019, for example, here in New York City, we had a measles outbreak due to under-vaccination in certain parts of the community, and children went to the ICU. None died, fortunately. But had I minimized that, had I said, oh, children are at more risk of car crashes and suicide, why do we care about measles? I would have been a pariah in the medical community. But over the pandemic, that idea became mainstream, and highly credentialed doctors from our top universities, Stanford, Harvard, University of California, San Francisco, and Johns Hopkins began to parrot, they probably didn't know it, but parrot uh, anti-vaccine talking points. Um, and they really uh, convinced a lot of parents that their children did not need the COVID vaccine. and children suffered as a result. And that's where it really feels unethical because we, the public, feel, oh, this is a medical professional. I can trust them. So they were really abusing their uh, position, were they not? I certainly think so. And the arguments that they used relied on spreading fake numbers for example, uh, and wildly different reasons as to why unvaccinated children should uh, contract COVID. So what am I talking about with fake numbers, for example? Um, after the first year and a half of the pandemic or so, uh, about a thousand children had died of COVID and about one and only one child had died of flu. Uh, but I tracked about 10 doctors who said, the flu is more dangerous or as dangerous uh, for kids as COVID. So they were saying the virus that killed one child was equal to the virus that had uh, killed about a thousand children, which is obviously uh, absurd. Um, and their reasons for leaving children unvaccinated changed over the course of the pandemic. So when vaccines first came out, uh, flashback to the, the, the winter and the spring of 2021, it was a very hopeful time. We thought the vaccines were going to be this wonderful panacea that would get us out of the pandemic. Uh, in May of 2021, for example, cases were very low. You know, millions of people were getting vaccinated. There were only 10,000 cases of COVID in the country. And a lot of people thought at the time that we did not need to vaccinate children because adult vaccination would protect them, essentially, that COVID was going away. It didn't work out that way. So fast forward to 2022, these same doctors argued that kids don't need to be vaccinated because they've all had COVID already. So when cases were going down in 2021, they said kids don't need the vaccine. When cases exploded, they said kids don't need the vaccine. Uh, so it was really they put their ideology first and whatever facts on the ground were used to support this idea. And there's no coming back and admitting that those were statements made in error. They still hold true to it, don't they? Yeah, so a lot of people uh, have been un unable to admit error. I, I think my book is not just a collection of people who got things wrong at one point or another in the course of the pandemic and admitted error. Um, I, I certainly do include some examples of that because this is how scientists and doctors should behave. If you mess up, you should say, I messed up and I got it wrong. So my book includes several of my own errors and stupid comments uh, over the course of the pandemic. But yeah, these guys double down. 
Um, and whenever they're criticized, they become very defensive and say, oh, you're trying to silence me, you're trying to censor me, you're trying to harass me, you're threatening me. So they, 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 they kind of make it very personal. Um, but yeah, even thousands of dead children, uh, around 2,000 children have died over the course of the pandemic and hundreds of thousands have been hospitalized, didn't budge them. Uh, they, they still feel uh, that, they, that, that they were right. And I think at this point, they're so dug in uh, that they just can't admit error. And this can't be used really as as a rule of thumb, but it it feels as you describe that, and I can think of other situations in our world. Those who uh, will not admit being vulnerable and potentially uh, and possibly having made an error will hold on and say they never do. That should be the red flag that says, okay, well, you better investigate this person, uh, question whether you really trust them. Absolutely. Uh, humility and being able to admit error is, is a really core part of being a good scientist and be talking, but it's some of the dark money behind this, right? That, that this was only attached to your ideas uh, so that if someone disagrees with one of your ideas, you don't react as if you are being personally attacked. Um, and again, pretty much all of the doctors who I write about in the book were sheltered from the consequences of their words. Uh, they never treated a sick COVID patient. They certainly never treated a sick child. Uh, so they never saw what happened when pediatric hospitals filled up during the Delta wave in the summer of 2021 or during the worst part of the pandemic for children, which was January 2022, uh, when Omicron ripped through unvaccinated children. And again, the vast majority of children who get COVID will be fine. I'm not out to, to fear monger about that, but there's 73 million American children and rare events uh, multiplied by 73 million add up to a, a, a meaningful number of, of sick and injured children, I think. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, talking about the, the doctors who were making, these medical professionals who were making these comments and not being on the front line, you know, sitting kind of in that, quote, ivory tower and making proclamations. And we know the reality. I, I mean, I was not in the field, but reading the stories and just seeing the the news clips of, of how overwhelmed hospitals were and the long hours, the intensity that went on and the people who were dying at such rates, what that did to to these medical professionals. I, I think we see the, the after effect of it now with all the challenges we face with low staffing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, my, my personal experience working with COVID was very, very intense for about six to eight weeks in the spring of 2020 here in New York City. I worked at Bellevue Hospital. Um, I saw more people die uh, during those uh, during April and, and, and uh, May of 2020 than I probably had my entire career. Mm. The entire hospital, every single hospital was nothing but COVID patients. Um, we had two patients in a room that were usually meant for one. Uh, I'm a neurologist. I'm a psychiatrist. The main disease that I treat is multiple sclerosis, but here I am treating this respiratory virus. Um, you know, even though I say treating, most of what I did was just try to really be nice to people and, and who were separated, tragically separated from their family and loved ones. There wasn't a lot that we could do for them other than try to make them comfortable. Um, but yeah, a, a decent number of doctors and, and nurses uh, got, got sick with COVID themselves. Uh, I think six people at my hospital, if, if not more, died of COVID, uh, six employees during that first wave. 
Uh, several other people I know have, are now out with long COVID and several retired just because of the, the, the stress um, uh, of the pandemic. And I don't blame them. Yes, totally understandable. And thus, making us aware because we it's the world is so quick and things keep shifting and changing. We can easily forget that. But that's where your book comes into play to really bring this right back to us to remember what went on. Because isn't this perhaps a a bit of a, a what advance warning of look what happened? Because inevitably something similar will happen uh, in the next decade or the next uh, 30 years, something like that. Yeah, I, and I'm not optimistic about the future. Um, if another vi- when another virus comes uh, and, and does this, uh, I think we're going to be divided from the start. Uh, millions of people were spared serious illness because we, for the most part, came together in the spring of 2020 and did what we had to do to stop the virus from spreading. Uh, I, I think that had we done nothing, had we, for example, known, you know, tried to uh, tackle the virus with with the knowledge of the Middle Ages where we didn't have uh, any knowledge of viruses, for example, and we thought uh, it was just witches casting spells on us, uh, there would have been bodies in the streets that did happen in certain parts of the world. Uh, and I'm very worried that when the next pandemic arrives, when our public health leaders tell people to be careful, Half of the country, maybe not half, but a decent chunk is going to decide to go inside of gyms and have indoor coughing parties just despite uh, medical health professionals. And and, and their reaction is sort of going to be, you can't tell me what to do. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do the opposite because that's freedom. And thousands of people paid for that attitude with their lives during the pandemic. They were told you need to get vaccinated. And their version of freedom is, again, I'm going to do the exact opposite of whatever you tell me to do. And so they didn't get vaccinated uh, and, and, and they died. And a lot of people took, a, took, uh, took people with them. We all remember a couple of years ago, the most dangerous job in America was being a conservative radio talk show host. Um, and I think also skepticism about vaccines is going to bleed into the regular vaccine schedule. We're already seeing drops in measles vaccination rates and whooping cough. And, and we had a case of polio here in uh, New York State, uh, although that man should have been vaccinated 15 years ago. So you can't blame the pandemic. But uh, I'm not optimistic about the future. Well, and in terms of those numbers, I had to actually go back and, and take a look at this because it, it begins to dim. I knew over a million people died in the U.S. Uh, we tracked uh, those numbers were mentioned, uh, you know, on a weekly basis, I think. And looking at it, though, we had the highest death toll, we in the U.S., the highest death toll in the entire world. And that is just mind-boggling. It, it, it's mind-boggling. Before, it, And again, the numbers are always going to be a little bit inaccurate. I don't know that we probably had the highest death toll. Probably India, which is a triple the size of the United States, uh, had more deaths. And, uh, you know, death counts from around the world are going to be uh, inaccurate. We probably had a better system of tracking COVID deaths than, than a lot of parts of the world. Uh, either way, before the pandemic, we were ranked number one out of 195 countries in terms of our pandemic preparedness. But I think our leaders underestimated the role of misinformation uh, and the idea that people would 
not uh, not not take the virus seriously. And again, I, I, I blame my whole book is about the contribution of medical professionals to this. So you mentioned that we did have a million deaths, uh, which is true. Uh, but a lot of doctors worked very hard to cast doubt on those death tolls and some of the beliefs that became gospel amongst the QAnon adherents and the, the sort of right-wing conspiracy theorists originated with doctors, the idea that a lot of people were dying with COVID, not of COVID, that death certificates couldn't be trusted, that it was doctors who were killing patients through uh, the use of ventilators, or that people were dying from lockdowns, or that it was the only people who died of COVID were 99-year-olds with metastatic cancer who were going to die next week when they died one week earlier due to COVID. Uh, and these ideas all came from highly credentialed professionals, famous doctors, uh, again, at, out of Stanford and uh, our, our top-notch universities. And via Scott Atlas, they made their way to the White House and influenced policy at the highest level. And that's where, again, it gets so frightening. Uh, you know, decades or maybe even just a couple of decades ago, it was fringe and you could easily just silence that or, you know, just turn your head the other way. But now I guess with all the social media we have, for one, and uh, 24-7 newscasts going on, is that perpetuating it more? I certainly think the information silos uh, have been a problem. Uh, there have always been anti-vaccine doctors, which is kind of hard to believe. Uh, but before the pandemic, these guys were definitely on the fringe. Probably the most famous one being Andrew Wakefield, who was this disgraced British doctor who probably everyone knows started the myth that vaccines cause autism. Uh, and again, there were always a small number of anti-vaccine doctors, but they uh you know, were respected as you know pilots who didn't believe in gravity, for example. Uh, they, they were in the fringe. But yes, partially due to social media uh, and podcasts and YouTube videos, these doctors who became anti-vaccine for children uh, gained large followings. And I'm sad to say that a lot of my fellow doctors viewed this as sort of legitimate debate. You know, should we vaccinate children against COVID? Well, there's a discussion to be had there. There's a legitimate discussion, when in fact there was no legitimate discussion. There was no reason to let unvaccinated children, millions of them, get COVID once we knew that we had a safe and effective vaccine. Again, it's not a perfect vaccine. Um, and had anyone argued that about measles or polio or diphtheria or pertussis, before the pandemic, that person would have been laughed out of medicine and appropriately would have been laughed out of medicine. And so part of our defense, if you will, maybe maybe this book uh, is our own uh, personal vaccine to become informed and aware, because I, I think we could just, I, I generally might be aware that's going on. But to read the specifics of the articles that you include, you know, mentioning them, just stating it uh, in a very matter-of-fact way, but it's a huge volume that exists here. So it really behooves us to educate ourselves in this way, doesn't it? I think so. Uh, But uh, it can be very hard for the general public because all of the doctors who I discussed a few things about them. They can speak scientific jargon as well as anyone. 
so they can make themselves sound very, very, very reasonable. And if you were to ask them their general approach to medicine, it would be no different than mine. They would say, I follow data, I follow science, I follow the evidence, I follow reason, I follow logic. And they can sort of spin uh, scientific articles and jargon uh, to make themselves seem very credible. And in order to recognize the, that they are not credible, I think uh, you have to have some background knowledge of the anti-vaccine movement, which most people don't. Um, and you have to know the data really well, which again, most people don't. So let me give you an example for uh, an example of what I'm speaking about. So a lot of these doctors uh, spoke quite a bit about vaccine side effects. So the mRNA vaccines, for example, can cause myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart, uh, usually after the second vaccine dose in young men. It occurs pretty rarely, probably about one in 10,000 young men uh, are vulnerable to this, or will, will end up getting myocarditis. Uh, the good news is that 90% of these, if not 95%, are relatively mild. Uh, most people go to the hospital for a couple of days, and they seem to do well, uh, and they emerge you know, back to normal within a relatively short amount of time. Not 100%, uh, but, but nearly all of them. So these doctors write, you know, spoke about this vaccine side effect constantly, which is fair. You know, you don't want to minimize vaccine side effects. Sorry for the silence in the background. This is New York City after all. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, but then they spoke about death from COVID as nothing to worry about. They said, oh, it's extremely rare for children to die of COVID. More children die of suicide. More children die of car crashes. So they spoke about these vaccine side effects is a fate worse than death. But if you were just to hear them speak about vaccine side effects, they might sound very reasonable. They would say, we have to worry about children's hearts, and you can't disagree with that. Um, but, but they can speak the scientific jargon, jargon, and they can sling the scientific jargon very well. So it's very hard for, for people who don't know the data uh, to, to tell who to trust. It's, it's very difficult. And again, all these guys have credentials, full professors at the University of California, San Francisco, or Stanford, or Harvard. Yes. So I believe in reading We Want Them Infected, it gives us insights. How else can we really make sure that we're being uh, aware that we're not being fed a line that, that, well, a real disservice has happened with the anti-vaxxers is happening? So I think that you have to beware the sort of contrarian doctor in every field, there are people who sort of say, um, uh, you know, I know the truth and other people don't, and I'm so much more, you know, kind of brilliant than every other doctor. And as a result of this, they're suppressing me. For example, they compare themselves to other suppressed geniuses, for example. And that happens in, in, in medicine. Um, and, you know, my, my book is certainly, I hope, not to discourage people who think outside the box or who challenge the uh, orthodoxy. Uh, the Nobel Prize this year in medicine went to the inventors of the mRNA vaccine, or the people who, who helped uh, develop the technology uh, that led to the mRNA vaccines. And those guys certainly fit the mold. They, no one took them seriously. They, they were kind of forgotten researchers and scientists until they saved the world. But for the most part, the lone maverick doctor out there saying, I am the only one telling you the truth, 
Probably isn't. And a lot of these guys have other sort of side gigs, for example. Some of them sell supplements. Some of them uh, sell Substack subscriptions, which is an online newsletter, and people can pay $10 a month uh, to read it. And some of them have thousands of Substack followers. So they're usually, and I realize I'm, I'm selling a, a book, not that this is getting me rich, but most of them are, 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 have some ulterior motive, I think, as well. Right. Well, that is also very important insight. And I really appreciate all this. There's so much we could discuss, but I hope we've touched on some of the key things and really more so invite people to find out and learn on their own by reading this important volume, We Want Them Infected. And of course, uh, it's it's been out for a little bit, but very available at all of our favorite book sources, correct? Yeah, no, it's available on Amazon. Uh, there's an audio book you can buy there, or you can get it directly from the publishers at Red Hawk Publishing. Great. And to uh, learn more, uh, if, a website where people can get more information, uh, both about the book and about you, where shall we direct them? So I do have my own personal website, jonathanhowardmdig.com. It's just a, just a collection of my writing. That, that's about it. Uh, and I have also been blogging throughout the pandemic at a website called Science-Based Medicine. So you can read about 150 of my articles, some of them. Some of them are longer than they need to be and need to be edited down a little bit, but it's all available there. <laughs> I really appreciate your honesty and just awareness about that. Uh, you know, I think that attest to what we were talking about in terms of personalities and, you know, how to judge whether to trust or not to trust. So I greatly appreciate that about you, Dr. Howard. And I appreciate your taking time with us, of course, this morning to give us some insights. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome.